you shall hide from. You lift me up onto a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above all my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing this. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. And be gracious to me and answer. But you said, seek my face. My heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall see. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. And my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the level path because of my face. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, who false witnesses have ruled me against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I'm going to announce you. That's great. Okay, thank you. Um, just a brief introduction. So this is Hazen Stevens. Um, he has a beautiful wife named Hannah. They've been married how many years? 15 this September. 15 years this September. They have four children, three girls and one boy. Um, I met them in the winter of 2009. I'm wearing this shirt because it's um, now the church is, it was called IHOP, now it's called Gate City, and this is, it says Gatekeepers, and so I was like representing today. Um, and I was a part of that church community for five years, and we've stayed friends over the years, and um, he's made such a huge difference, he and Hannah and that community, um, such a difference in my faith walk and showing me the, the steadfast love of the Lord. All right, so here you go. <laughs> so we're just, I'm not going to get behind the pulpit there because I just felt like sitting a little bit this morning with you guys. Sarah Beth told me that we were doing beach church. I feel like I was sold a false bill of goods, to be honest. I feel like this is porch church, more than beach church. I said, I'm at someone's beach church. Someone's like, send me a picture. I was like, I think, you're, I think they're wanting a picture of me on the beach doing church. But I was like, it's, you know, and it, but it's there. I can see it. It's beautiful. Way more attractive than our, our, our sanctuary is more darkly lit. And so... Um, and air conditioned, but I, I uh, but I'm very happy to be with you guys this morning. And the fans are going, and we get to dive into the Word together this morning. And I do believe truly, like I, I don't. Um, I've been preaching the last five weeks at our church. We have a teaching team, and I know that I don't look old enough to be married for 15 years, or to have four children, um, or, or to be a senior leader of a of a church. Um, someone said that they that they uh, remember me from their fraternity days, uh, that they spent a lot of time with Hazen during those days. And so I appreciated that. And so I know I have a little more of a flat, frat boy vibe than I do pastor vibe. Um, I, someone did help me pick out this outfit and I, I feel like it was providentially given to me for the day that I would preach at Beach Church because I feel like I've had a Beach Church vibe. I've had this outfit just waiting for the moment that <laughs> that I would be here with you guys. So I know that God had this in mind when, uh, when I got this outfit. And so, but all, all humor aside, and I do like to have fun, I'm excited to take the next 15 or 20 minutes, share a little bit of my journey with you guys, and hopefully share something that adds value to your walk with Jesus. And so I know so often we can, um, you know, you are the faithful ones who are here. This weekend, you decided instead of drinking your coffee on Sunday morning and walking on the beach, you were going to come to 
porch church or beach church and, uh, and, and you know, sit in the heat and hopefully hear something valuable from the heart of the Lord. And, and I think God gave me something to share with you guys. And so I hope that as I, as I articulate to us from the scriptures uh, that God will do something maybe profound, maybe even, maybe even life-changing uh, for some of us who are here today. And so I want to just take a moment and pray and just ask God to do exactly that. And then we'll jump into the word together. So, Father, I do, uh, all joking aside, sense your hand of providence on our time here this morning that you have uh, directed our steps to this place and this moment in time. And in the words of 1 Peter, I ask that you'd help me to speak as an oracle of God, to say the things that are on your heart and your mind today, and to convey those to people that really are, are here this morning because they want to know you better. Lord, we say, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us the truth and revelation and insight. And I know that I have no natural ability to do that, but you can bring light to our hearts. You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can speak a verse, a phrase, an idea that gives us something deeper and richer in you. And I'm asking you to do that this morning for the people convened here. And I'm asking you to do it at a tenfold effectiveness. We're beyond the natural capacity and, and gifting and anointing to communicate that you would actually put your hand on people's hearts. We invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit as the great teacher, comforter, as the spirit of revelation and truth. And we ask you to speak to us, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, normally I have some projection. Uh, obviously, we don't have that this morning. So, what I did take the time to do is some people, because I like to jump through a lot of scriptures, you know, they want to be able to look at the scriptures along with me or go back and reflect. And so, I have like a little website that I do blogs and resources on. And so, I just posted the notes there. If you do have a device... Um, I, I won't accuse you of being on Facebook while I'm preaching. If you do want to pull it up, you can. Um, it's hazenandhannah.com, which is my name, H-A-Z-E-N, and, and Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, hazenandhannah.com, or presentcenteredlife.com. And you can go back and look at it later. No pressure to have to look at these verses now. Um, but that's what I'm doing. I'm going to look at my, my notes while I'm sharing with you guys this morning just to keep it, just to keep it simple for myself. And so actually get that pulled up. I've not used, I normally have like a headset, so I'm forgetting that I have a microphone in my hand, and so if it's, it's awkward a little bit for me. So yeah, if you go to that page, it's under, um, I think, I'm an assistant, yep, she put it in her blogs. So Beach Church Notes, there you are, represented on the website. So hazenandhannah.com or Present Centered Life, and again, no pressure to go there now, but if you want to go back to these thoughts and look at them later they're on there for you and we'll record this so you record this yeah or if you want to post it on facebook or whatever um because i really believe i'm like as a shepherd of people have this firm conviction that uh i i just know from experience that what i share in 30 or 45 minutes on a sunday morning has very little impact unless you wake up and look at it on monday morning right and my assumption is probably most of the people in this room you guys have been christians for for a long for a longer 
time. Maybe there's a few new Christians in here. Um, but you're here to hear the word of God this morning. You have a hunger for God. And so I just want to make those available to you, just the scriptures that I'm going to share. Um, really, I'm going to share out of my, my story in my life. And again, I'm going to keep it really brief today. There we go. So uh, my journey was from religion into relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to talk about some of the appeal and temptation of religion. And then I'm going to talk about how God transformed me to understand what relationship was. I was looking at in our hymnal and it was just standing out to me as we were singing the first hymn on page 10. There was another hymn on page 11. I actually love this hymn. It's trust and obey. There's to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey, which is a great song, but not a complete theology. And no song is complete theology, right? But that reduction of what Christianity is down to the simple idea, and yes, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? That trust and obey, it's, it's not a wrong idea, but a lot of times we reduce our Christianity down to showing up to church on Sunday morning, paying our tithe, reading our Bible, praying, and you can actually do all of those things with a heart that is disconnected from God. You know, the, Jesus comes on the scene, and the people that he feels the most need to correct, and I don't think we have any Pharisees here this morning, just to be clear, but it was the Pharisees because they had all the outward trappings of what godliness looked like, but the majority of them did it with a heart that was disconnected. And ultimately, we know that because they killed Jesus, right? And so had their heart been connected to their practice, they would have recognized this man was from God. Um, but instead, they were more committed to their practice than they were to a person, right? And I know in my marriage, when I start to go through the rhythms of what my wife expects of me out of obligation rather than a heart that is connected in intimacy, let's just say things don't go well for me <laughs> in my marriage. Like, hey, babe, do you want to do a date night tonight? She's like, no, I don't want to do a date night with you. Don't, you don't seem like you want to spend time with me. And we know this intuitively in all of our relationships that real intimacy comes out of the place of desire and yes, there are times where you have to show up to the date night and enter into desire, but years of date night, years of companionship, years of relationship without desire, you know, you end up with being roommates on the way to heaven instead of in a real marriage, right? And that same thing can be true about our relationship with Jesus. And unfortunately, for the majority of my life, I went to an Episcopalian high school. We did chapel every week. We had vestry, attended a Baptist church and they always said they had something called a tog. Does anyone know what a tog is? Tog is a time alone with God. I was taught from an early age. Praise God. Thank you for Baptists. If you're any Baptists in here, you teach at a young age, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Scripture instead of Holy Spirit, but that's all right because the Holy Scriptures have a lot to say and I learned to read my Bible. What I didn't learn to do was to actually commune with God through the Scriptures, right? And again, it's that place of religion as opposed to relationship and i'm thankful because I, I really did come into a relationship with jesus all those seeds of the word that were planted in my heart at an early age those things sprang to life right but i can remember doing the disciplines of christianity but not ever feeling that deep heart connection with jesus and when i began to experience that deep heart connection with jesus everything for me changed this idea of delight 
And so going back to the song, we reduce our Christianity down to trusting and obeying and really at a deeper level, God wants something better and sweeter for us in our relationship with him. And that's true of every single person in this room, no matter what your temperament is, no matter, no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And you were that joy. A relationship with you, one where he really speaks to you and you hear his voice and he cares about you and you get to feel that sense, not just know in your head the sense that you're loved by God, but to feel deeply that you're loved by God and to walk in a relationship with him to more than just obey is my point, but to actually live in a life of deep connection with God. It's what human beings are made for. And anytime you begin to unpack these things, I've spoken thousands of times in the course of my career as a pastor and preacher communicator and it's so amazing that anytime we start to talk about the very things that I'm talking about doesn't matter who it is right doesn't matter how steeped even in religion they are something begins to stir in people's hearts because in the words of Ecclesiastes 3 God has actually put eternity in our hearts and what we're made for in eternity guess what you're you're not going to do in eternity you're not going to eternity to do some kind of rote job right or some kind of kind of uh Eternity is not going to be about, you're going to already be victorious over sin. You're already going to have, it's the Sabbath rest that God has ultimately prepared for the people of God. An eternity of communion and intimacy and relationship. And that's what the longing that he's put in our hearts. And so in this life, obedience is a part of that. But I know in any message, uh, if there are any contractors or construction people in here, I'm not particularly good at contracting or constructing hardly anything. But I know, and Jesus says this, he goes, when you're building a tower, you look at how much it costs before you begin to build, right? We begin with the end in mind. And I think a mistake that a lot of us have made, especially in the South, where we're so steeped in religion, is we think the end is mostly rooted in a moral lifestyle. When the reality is the end is rooted in what we're gonna have in eternity a life lived in deep connection with God day in and day out. Amen? And so what I'm here to say today, I could probably stop my message right there and you guys would have had plenty to ponder. <laughs> but what I want to give to you is a, a secret, a secret to living in that way as opposed to trapped within the confines of religious thinking. Okay? And, um, and just because I, I'm a preacher and I just wanted to say on theme... All my words in this pattern start with the letter B. So, B, B, and B, okay? Because you gotta have three points and they all need to start with the same letter if you want anybody to remember it. That was last week? Great, last week was the P's, this week is the B's, maybe next week will be the J's, you guys can have some PB and J's. So, here at Beach Church. All right. My brain is a little bit like that. I'm, I, I, I think and preach like Sarah Beth paints. So, um, so it was a compliment, yeah. That's why I love Sarah Beth. We're both artists at heart. It's just God gave her a lot more talent than he, than he gave me. I paint with words. So, um, so the three Bs. We have to first believe, right? Like you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And we believe because we trust in our heart, confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's so, that's so simplistic. But you know, if you know this four spiritual laws, it talks about God has a plan for your life. Sin has separated you from that plan. And then through the cross, 
God has made a way for you to be reconciled. Does anyone know what the fourth spiritual law is, though? Which is the one a lot of people skip. It's that you know those three things and then you believe it. You actually have to cross the line into faith. True faith, which is something that happens in the heart. And for me, it was like, I lived a long time. And people will even live, I, I feel like I lived a decade knowing those three things, but never truly believing it. And so, even though it seems simplistic, you cannot overstate the reality that to know those things is not enough. To know the story of what Jesus has done is not enough. There are Christians that show up at Easter and at church, or for Beach Church, 4th of July and Memorial Day weekend, whatever the big days are, and they're practicing you know, cultural Christianity, and they've never crossed the line into actually believing what they know. And so it's a simple thing to say this morning. I imagine it's not true of anyone in this room, but we never want to take for granted the fact that we have to believe in our hearts in who Jesus says that he is. We have to actually live like we believe that at the end of our days, the one that we're going to stand and give an account to is a person. It's a real person. The Bible actually says the father has no judgment. He's committed all judgment to the son. That God has appointed the one who became flesh, became a human being, to be the judge of all men, is the way that Paul says it in the book of Acts. And so there's an appointed time which we will all stand before judgment concerning Jesus. And what Jesus will say to us is either he knew us or he didn't know us. Right? And so do you know him? Have you believed what you know in your heart? And without that, you can't really enter into the relationship and the description of what I'm going to talk about. So believe or am talking about. Believe. Second one is behold. Okay. We actually believe and then we behold. And that one's a little more mystical, but I'll make it very practical in a moment. But the idea of Psalm 27, which my daughter just read. David, who's a king, a general, a poet. He wrote the hit songs in his day. He slayed all the giants in his day. He was the chief political figure in his day. And the one who was the pinnacle of fame, power, wealth, King David, he was the man, right? And he said, one thing I desire. And he didn't say one thing I desire to obey all your rules. He said, one thing I desire is to behold the beauty of the Lord and to talk with you in your temple and to meditate on you all my days, right? He knew what it was to be intimately acquainted with God. And from that place, he said, really? There's nothing else I long to do. Now, we have assignments in life. Like I said, David was a general politician, artist, poet, prophet. He had assignments, right? But the context of his assignment was deep intimacy with God. And when we read the scripture, what is the thing that should shout at us? David's obedience was at times very spotty to say the least right i mean we could go through the life of david people here know it and and we could say you know you've got bathsheba that wasn't a great moment right he counts the he counts his soldiers at the end of his days as a demonstration of his arrogance he receives judgment of god upon the whole nation i mean there were moments but the book of acts says david completed all the will of god in his generation and that was because god was way more concerned with who david was becoming in intimacy with him than his obedience in his assignment. So God is way more concerned with, and that's the third point, he's concerned with what you're becoming even more than what you're doing. And if you hear nothing else 
today. A lot of young Christians, we were even having a conversation about that last night on the beach. And it's not wrong to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? God, show me what you want me to do. My deepest desire for my daughter, though, is that her Christian experience wouldn't be oriented mainly around the question, God, what do you want me to do for you? But rather mainly orient around the question, God, who am I becoming as I walk with you? Because when we ask the question about becoming, like I said, we have to begin with the end in mind, we actually create the correct target that I think the Bible actually points us to as the main thing God wants us to target. What do I mean by that? There are verses like 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, right? God is first concerned with your becoming and out of your becoming, you'll end up in the right doing, in the right behaviors, in the right mission, in the right assignment, as you become really more like Him. So there's this great verse, just so you actually can put a foundation on what I'm saying, and then, and then we'll close, honestly. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he's describing the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in this, he's saying there's a greater glory to our new covenant. And he's going under the old covenant. There was such a great glory that Moses had to veil his face. And he's using this as a metaphor for the Christian journey. And then he says something very profound that is a description. This is Paul writing the Corinthian church between the way things used to be and the way things that are now within Christ. The way religion was practiced before the transformation of, of being born again and the Holy Spirit actually living in people in a different way under the New Testament than he ever has in human history with any human being since Adam. And he says in Christ, that metaphorical veil that had to separate the people from the glory of God and Moses, he says in Christ, when people come to Christ, that veil is taken away. Okay, I'll, I'll read it to you. And this is kind of mystical, but just stay with me says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's a great verse. We probably, many of you would have that verse in the back of your mind. If I said, where the spirit of the Lord is, everyone would say, there's freedom. But in context, what that verse really means is freedom to what? Freedom to actually see and know God and freedom for it not mainly to be a rules-based reality, but a reality where we look on God face to face without any veils, okay? That's what it means in the context to have freedom. Every person in this room, your heart has the ability to see God. And my prayer for you is that even this insight that I'm sharing with you today, that it would begin to leap off the pages of scripture, right? Has anyone here ever had the experience where you were thinking about going and buying a car and all of a sudden you saw that car everywhere? It's just this funny human thing that once you get something in your mind, it's like you're able to see it in places that you couldn't see it before. My prayer for you is that the description of what I'm giving you today will allow you to see something in the Bible that you've never seen before. This idea that when the veil is taken away from your heart, that now you in this room, because a lot of us doubt, can I hear God? Can I see God? Can I experience him? Yes, I know I can experience the Bible, but how do I press through the Bible to actually have an encounter with God? And... I can tell you 100% from scripture, that is the portion of every person in this room, that you would live unveiled in your heart before God. That's what the Bible says. It says right after this verse where it says the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, freedom to see God. 
He says, we all, somebody look at somebody, I'm going to do the old assemblies of God. Look at somebody and say, we all. I know it's hot in here, y'all, but come on, give me a little better. We all. All right, but you got to look at somebody. You got to preach. This is an interactive beach church moment. We all. There it is. Thank you. We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Got to put my mic down to do this. Right? That you read that verse and you go, we all with unveiled faces are to contemplate. That sounds a lot like what David was talking about in Psalm 27. And that's we all, our portion, contemplate the Lord with unveiled faces by the spirit and perceive his beauty. Now that's mystical. That's powerful. It begins with believing, beholding and becoming, believing that that's a real path for your life. And now I want to take it out of the mystical and give just just like two thoughts on making that very practical. Another verse that I connect to this is found in John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, there's that word again, believe. He gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor human decision or a person's will, but born of God. So if you believed your person in this room is born of God and then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his, we, this first chapter of the gospel of John, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. What did John mean when he said, I saw his glory? What was he talking about? Was he talking about that he saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes. Was it that he saw him turn water into wine at Canaan? Yes. Yes. Was it that he sat in the upper room when Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the true branches, and he, and he taught and revealed it? Yes, all of that. John is saying, as I walked with this man, I've come to believe he was not just a carpenter from Nazareth, that God actually put on flesh. And I saw glory in that relationship with him that I recognized there is no other but this man. He is the supreme reward. It's interesting doing evangelism. I'll say, are you a Christian? And people will say, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course. You go, I go to such and, my uncle's the pastor of such and such church. I mean, I, I don't remember the name of the church my uncle's the pastor of, but I've been there before and I'm a Christian. And then I'll ask the question, is Jesus the supreme treasure of your life? And if they're a Christian, they understand exactly what I'm talking about. And I can usually tell if someone's not a Christian because they'll give me a puzzled look. What do you mean, is Jesus the supreme treasure of my life? Have you seen this glory? Are you being transformed? Are you becoming like him? Are you being transformed into his image? Are you becoming more like this person that you, when you worship, do you sing songs or do you behold and become like the one that you're worshiping? That's what we're made for. Okay, I promised I'd make it practical and I know I need to end. So John saw it in his day-to-day -day life. Now he had the benefit of walking with Jesus for three years in the flesh, right? Paul never met Jesus that we can tell, but he said similar things. I beheld him. Paul had the same experience we did. And I'm so glad that he did because he's an apologetic to us that all the other disciples knew Jesus, walked with him in the flesh and said the things they said. Paul had the same Christian experience we did with the exception of, you know, the whole blinded by the light thing. But beyond that, right, he had the same, he had to interact with and know Jesus by the spirit. 
and how we do that, if I was just to give you one practical thing today to close with, because you gotta make it practical for people. This idea that the scriptures are something to marinate in, something to take hold of in our heart, something to contemplate at more than a rational level. And we love to learn in, in the West as an expression of our growth. That's how our education system works, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to begin to grab hold of truth in the mind rationally. But a lot of times we check that box and we never let the deeper work of the Spirit connect the Word of God to our heart by revelation. How many of you ever had that experience? You're reading the Bible and something strikes you and you go, I never knew this. Maybe you've had it this morning. <laughs> I never, I've read this epistle of Paul a thousand times and I would have sworn to you that this phrase is not in there and it leaps off of the page to you, right? My challenge to you, again, to make it very practical, is the next time that happens, grab hold of that phrase and chew on it deeply. Think about it. Write it on a sticky note. Put it in your car. Begin to, the way we teach people to meditate our church, read it, write it, say it, pray it. Read it in the scripture, write it, write about it in your journal, say it out of your mouth, pray it back to God. Read it, write it, say it, pray it. Super simple. Super simple. I have so few actually do it so that you behold the glory and you become. And there's a thousand ways that will say, God, I want to obey the thing you've asked me to do, but more important to him than the obedience. And obedience is very important, right? But that's kind of baseline. I'm assuming most people in this room are probably trying to obey Jesus the best, the best that you know how. And I would even guess that our biggest challenges in obedience are the places where we haven't fully beheld and become like him. The Holy Spirit spoke to me recently. I'll close on this point and then we'll pray. He said, you have a problem with pride. You have a problem with pride. And I was like, oh, do you ever have God speak something to you? And you're like, that's so true. And I don't know how to fix that. Right. I'm like, I have a heart problem with pride. You have a problem with pride. And it comes with being as awesome as I am. And so if you were as awesome as me, you would have a problem with pride as well. And so, so I began to go, okay, God, I agree with you. I have a problem with pride. And I was reading a book this past week after weeks of just kind of chewing on that thing that God spoke to me in my heart. And it's actually the book of our, of our pastor at our church. And I wasn't going to read his book because I feel like I know everything he has to say. But then I read this thing about pride in there. Ironic, right? And in it, he says, if you have a problem with pride, and use that exact phrase, it's because you've not beheld the humility of Jesus. The invitation to solve the problem that God was identifying in my life was not to work hard to be less prideful, because I can't crowbar that stuff out of my heart. It was actually to behold the most humble one and let that beholding transform me. Sounds a lot like what Paul was talking about. How do I do that? I take the word of God and I ponder it. There's a simple phrase, she was singing it, worthy is the lamb seated on the throne. And that phrase, lamb of God. Gentleness, humility, sacrifice, 
he became like us. And one of the things I never realized, Revelation 16, it says, I'm sorry, Revelation 19, Jesus comes as a conquering king, he comes as a lion, but it talks about the wedding supper, and when he talks about the wedding supper, he says the wedding supper of the lamb. The idea that the one we're gonna be joined to in eternity is humble and gentle, and he's never gonna stop being that way towards us. Right? I'm beholding something by revelation in the scripture, and it's changing my heart. And that's what I want to invite you to today. Let's pray. Father, we sense that we've been in your presence. Thank you for answering my prayer of speaking through me. And I ask the different things that I said this morning that are for the different, the different parts that are for different people. I pray they would think about them tomorrow morning and the next day. I pray that you would help the word of God to become life to us. You said your words are spirit and they are life and they're truth. So Lord, I, I sense, I sense even in my own heart, I, I beheld you a little bit this morning. And I pray that we would come away changed having beheld you. Say with all of our hearts, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for being our, our best friend, our greatest treasure. We believe in you. Release a greater grace, any grace, measure of grace that is on my life to behold and to become. I release that even right now is it I ask for that spiritual grace to hear your voice to be released on the people in this room and hunger Lord like David to seek the face of God the desire that one thing desire like what Mary of Bethany did where she would, she was unmoved from your feet and she loved to hear your word Lord I pray when people draw away to pray and and read the scripture with you this week where they would have life transforming encounters. And I thank you that all the things I'm asking you for, God, you're gonna do and, and do in great measure. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys, thank y'all. Hazen and Hannah.com and I will put the audio. Did you get the audio? Yeah. yeah. Hazen and Hannah.com. You can follow me. I will be your Facebook friend if you like. And so you can follow me on Facebook also. Instagram, all the good stuff. Hazen, there's not many out there. So easy to find. And Hazen and Hannah, H-A-Z-E-N and Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H. Stevens, thank you. Hazenhannah.com and it's right there under blogs. There's just descriptions from what I shared. I can even share half of them. Drop them in the video for you to think about. So good. All right. Let's all stand actually. Yeah. You want to come pray anything? Say anything? Wow. <laughs> you want to sing? You want to sing something? Why don't you do the praise God for I'm the preacher, you're the worship leader. You gotta do your job. You don't need the guitar, just do it up. Okay. All right, let's close our eyes. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him of our here below. 
Right, he's a new member of the church. <laughs> member for life. <laughs> yes, if you happen to have an extra beach house or a, a, or a, a carriage house, I would join, gladly become a St. Teresa Beach Church member. Yeah, I like that. 
majority of the tour toured off, and I guess the deadline that I should have, like, if I should have been accepted, because at that point I accepted the UGA, so I let all that go. I was just like, oh, that's it, but I just let her go. And so my dad actually went into the UGA office and he was like, brought me back in. Yes, I do. Please do. They were all here. 
I thought we were going to get some money getting ready here for Also, it's nice because it wasn't so hot. I know. Beautiful, huh? That is a beautiful, beautiful house. That's how it's that's how they like their Yes, ma'am. 